0: Dr. Melvin Vobson is a truly fascinating character and deep thinker. A physicist, he is the proposer of the mass energy information equivalence principle, has identified a technological singularity called the information catastrophe, and has discovered the second law of information dynamics. Melvin is the co-founder and Chief Scientific Officer of the world's first Information Physics Institute. His current scientific interests revolve around theoretical and experimental studies involving all aspects of information physics. I started by asking Melvin about his theory that information has its own weight, a weight independent of the device it is stored on.
1: I guess you are referring to my 2019 article um, entitled uh, Mass Energy Information Equivalence Principle. And in that, uh, in that paper, I uh, proposed um, what we call now the fifth um, state of matter um, as being information itself. And this is based on the hypothesis that information... Would have a finite, non-zero mass um, at rest. Uh, when is at uh, in equilibrium, uh, and uh, when is storing information? Um, where is this uh, idea coming from, essentially, and what are the the, the bases to formulate this principle? It kind of goes back to 1960s, um, the emergence of uh, digital technologies, digital information, digital data storage, and the work of um, Landauer, who was essentially the first, um, well, Brillouin proposed in 19, uh, maybe I'm wrong, but I think it was 1951 uh, or 1953. And in 1961, that was followed up by Landauer in very similar studies. But this idea is known as Landauer principle, and it um, states that information is um, physical. And how uh, Landauer uh, concluded this, he um, took a look at um, computational processes and computational technologies, and realized that these are part of um, the universe. They are made of matter. They are made of atoms, uh, like everything else, and they are part of the universe. And they should be. Subjected to the the same laws of as lo- laws of physics, the laws of the universe, and including the laws of thermodynamics. So, um, in thermodynamics, we we know that a process that is irreversible um, must dissipate energy. So, this um, irreversibility uh, and energy dissipation goes go hand in hand. What Landauer did, he um, realized that. Logical irreversibility is the same as um, thermodynamic irreversibility. In other words, um, a logical computational process uh, that um, is irreversible should behave like a thermodynamic irreversible process. And by irreversible process, I have, for example, I have a coffee in front of me now. It's uh, very hot. Within a couple of minutes, it will get colder and colder. At some point, it will reach... um, thermodynamic equilibrium to my office and you will have the room temperature exactly as uh, the uh, environment of the office. This process is, ir- we call this process irreversible because the coffee will never go back to its initial initial state uh, by itself. It will never get to the initial temperature becoming hot without any external work, without any external um, energy added uh, to the system from um, outside uh, the system so this process we call it irreversible and um, it dissipated energy because the coffee dissipated the internal energy and the heat uh, contained in the coffee to the environment so Landauer suggested that um, uh, computational processes um, which are irreversible should dissipate energy and one simple example there are many other examples but one simple example of a computational process Um, which is irreversible, is the deletion of a bit of information, an information bit, leaving up um, outside um, the mechanism by which you store that bit, whether it's optically stored or magnetically stored or um, some kind of solid-state technology. A bit of information, once deleted, uh, is irreversible, so it changes the entropy of the local system. There is a, a dissipative process, and it needs to dissipate a bit of energy. And this is called the Landauer um, bound or the Landauer principle. He worked out what is the value of that energy. At uh, room temperature, is about twenty milli electron volts. Uh, I can tell you for um, uh, for a bit of information. So the fact that information is physical goes back to much older um, studies um, from Landauer and uh, Brillouin and um, a few other people, including John Wheeler. Uh, What I did in 2019, uh, I I asked myself the question, um, if a bit of information is physical, and you can detect... uh, By the way, this has been experimentally proven in a number of um, recent studies. So Landauer Principle is a fact, uh, is not a theory. So I said, um, if a bit of information is physical, and you can detect that energy associated to the bit of information when you erase it. What happened to that energy when the bit is at rest, at equilibrium, storing information? Uh, Where is that energy going? And the only conclusion I I could come up with is that that energy condenses into a small mass. And this is using Einstein's um, special relativity and the, the famous Energy equals mc square um, relation, which is a consequence of special relativity, which converts mass and energy and shows that energy and mass are indeed equivalent. Um, so, this that was the birth of um, the mass-energy-information equivalence principle, um, which states that the three uh, states of uh, matter are fully equivalent and uh, depending on the circumstances. Uh, they are in. They can manifest either as mass, energy, or um, or pure information. So this is, um, in a nutshell, more or less. I'm not sure I answered um, your your question. Are you are satisfied? But, in a nutshell, um, I think this is the the fundamental basis of this uh, of this concept.
0: No, you did. Thank you, and it's it's uh, fascinating, and and I think it'll be. It's a kind of mind blowing as well in the sense of, I think so much of the way we understand digital uh, is immaterial, you know, everything from the cloud, et cetera, to, that we've this sense that it has no materiality in its existence. And I think that has encouraged a lot of, you know, negative behaviors, but as, as you point out, it requires energy. To store information, or to create information, or to manipulate uh, information, and that energy uh, is associated with, with matter.
1: You you made a few um, uh, statements there, and I, I need to reinforce some of those ideas um, in a in in a, in a clear manner for, for the for your audience. Um, the the information. In fact, it's quite the opposite, actually. Some of the criticism I had is that um, the the material nature of information, information can be detached from uh, uh, some kind of material support. So it needs to be stored in some kind of material support. And many of my critics, um, they confuse the mass of information with the mass of the device holding the information. In other words, Let's take magnetic data storage. A bit of information in magnetic data storage is a tiny magnetic um, space or region on the surface of a magnetic nanofilm, which is magnetized one way or another, up or down, let's say. And we uh, logically allocate uh, bit states, zeros and one digital states, to these magnetization states. If it's magnetized up, we say it's maybe a one. If it's magnetized uh, down, we say it's a zero. So uh, physicists, uh, which are confined to this materialistic um, thinking, if you want, um, they associate the bit of information with that tiny region of space, which is a magnetized volume of uh, material. And they say, that's the mass of the bit. And of course, it has a mass and uh, there's nothing special about that. And... They associate all the energies involved in writing and storing and stuff with with the energies consumed to um, inver- uh, reverse the magnetization or or remagnetize that region uh, or erase that region. Uh, this couldn't be wrong. Uh, couldn't be more wrong than this. Uh, it's it's a total misunderstanding mis- uh, misunderstanding of um, what uh, information physics tells us, what Landauer principle is, and what my work um, is about. When I talk about information, I refer to this mathematical construct, these zeros and ones that we, we construct to associate uh, to physical states. But they themselves have the mass, these ab- abstract mathematical states, if you want. This, this is beyond, um, you, 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 I think you said mind-boggling, but I think it goes beyond that because it's a very, very abstract concept. He kind of says that the mathematics is is physical uh, to to some degree. These constructed mathematical states of information, these zero and ones, how should I put it in a more clear way? If you would be able to create a medium for storage information, digital storage information, that is non-material, So you remove completely the necessity of a magnetic film or some kind of flash drive, solid-state drive, or an optical drive, or any kind of medium. If you could store information in a non-material state, let's say in space-time fabric, let's say, and then you would have created a a medium of information that has mass itself in a non-material medium. So this is what I mean by mass of a bit. Completely detached from the physical nature of the medium itself, the device, um, you know, the the, the electrons, everything that goes into making this go about and kick and work is just pure mathematical states, the zeros and ones that um, are physical, uh, it's a it's a very abstract uh, idea to to actually grasp uh, is and this is where the biggest uh, debate is about now you mentioned the physicality of uh, information and um, the fact that it, it requires energies is is true um but but is, 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 it it's a sub' is besides the kind of concepts i'm discussing in the mass energy information principle uh, yes we need information to store data to create data, uh, manipulate data. In fact, we need um, huge amounts amounts of information to keep these uh, hyper servers, uh, data servers running. They need cooling. They need uh, electricity to run the drives uh, 24-7. Um, you need information to write in the first place. And the amounts of information we need are much higher than my estimates because you have to overcome these huge materialistic Uh, physical states where the information sits and resides. Uh, In my studies, I'm not even looking at that. I'm just interested in the pure mathematical states that have energy and information.
0: Okay. So let's get a a definition in there because uh, some people listening to this will probably understand information in a different way. So in, in the dictionary, there's two definitions of information. Um one which you have described about physical states of ones and zero, and of course, maybe the more commonly understood uh, definition of information is is the transfer of knowledge you're informing somebody about something but but you know, there's there's a very distinct separation in that definition isn't there you your your definition of information is is more about a physical type of um definition, isn't, isn't that
1: true? Yes, Jerry, that's correct. Um, so uh, it, it's actually a very good suggestion to set a quasi-definition, if we can, um, in motion. So we have a sort of unified framework um, um, on <laughs> discussing about the information. When I say information, what I mean, I mean... The information defined in Shannon's um, information theory framework. So, uh, Cloud Shannon, uh, 1940s, um, he is the father of digital computing. He wrote um, uh, a seminal paper called Information Theory. Well, it's not the exact title, but he developed the information theory. And um, when I talk about information and information states, I strictly... Um, refer to Shannon Information Theory Framework. Uh, What is that? Um, uh, In Shannon's Information Theory Framework, information is defined as a function, a mathematical function, which is um, linked to the probability of an event to occur or not, or how, how probable is an event to occur. So, and this is a logarithmic function, it has been introduced by um, Shannon in the 1940s as part of, uh, of his theory. and uh, But what uh, we need to retain from this is the fact that information is uh, intimately linked to probabilistic nature of um, events and things and everything in nature. So as soon as you have um, um, a probability of something to occur, then you can have an information content associated to that event and you can measure that in bits or some other units which are given by a base of a logarithm in this um, function introduced by by Shannon. So of course, information can mean different things in different contexts. Um, You can link information to uh, some degree to uncertainty of an event because uncertainty is linked to the probability of the event, um, uh, is inversely, inversely proportional to the proba- probability. So you can have uh, variants of this this definition. Um, in my dictionary, I think I found uh, a simple definition that is facts provided or learned about something, um, defining information, I mean. Um, but but in my studies and when i refer to information is um, simply this probabilistic nature of um, everything and a mathematical function that uh, measures um, the amount of information you need you can extract from observing this event with a given probability now this is the interesting bit now the the, the fact that you can define information like this um, this is the the highest level of defining if you want information, because from this, you can redefine everything else in the in the same framework. Um, so taking digital information, for example, zeros and one, um, what do they mean? This is a digit, you can you, let's take this podcast, you are recording this podcast, aren't you? So this podcast is going to be our voices, our conversation, everything we communicate here, which represents information projected from our brains, uh, information that we learned, uh, maybe something that we read in this moment, everything that we say, it's some form of information through a different definition, let's say, as we, ordinary people will understand it. Uh, it's information. You convert this information into another form of information, which is digital information. You just digitize everything by recording this onto some kind of digital data storage device. And and then I can go beyond that. This is where I go beyond that. And I say, once you did, you convert it to the digital state, the Shannon kicks in and I can use Shannon information theory to look at the probabilistic nature of these digital bits and how they occur and convert this message into a quantity called information in Shannon's information theory framework and measure it in a specific quantity called the number of bits. So chances are, if we go half an hour or one hour, you are going to have probably a gigabyte of data or a few hundred megabytes of this podcast being recorded and converted into digital information, which can be measured through this concept of Shannon information theory and probabilistic nature in bits. So what I I guess what I'm trying to say is that everything can be redefined in in this framework, everything.
0: So this information of this podcast, we can measure it. You can measure it uh, based on Shannon theory as information. It it doesn't mean that it was an interesting podcast or boring, or it's not measuring, you know, whether it was exciting or you know or sad. Or it's just measuring. It's a kind of ones and zeros and the quantity of those bits
1: this is a very good point you are um, um, raising there in fact it's a problem i have with the whole information theory it does information theory does not distinguish between random bits bit states or random information or it cannot resolve the quality of information should I say it? In other words, if you have, let's say this podcast becomes 500 megabytes, if you have 500 megabytes of data, which results into no message whatsoever, in nothing, when you read out is completely gibberish, random characters that are being generated, uh, making up 500 megabytes, that amount of information will weight or will have uh, an identical uh, energy content to 500 megabytes of information that can contain maybe the secret of um, Kennedy assassination or, um, uh, you know, the the secret of what is dark matter or, um, as you said, um, feelings and uh, emotions or very exciting things. Um, the quality of information is not captured in this um, f- framework, in this information theory, you cannot tell whether it's good, whether it's bad. Um, was the quality? Which one is better than the other? It's just a volume, if you want, or a, a quantity measured in bits. And I do have a problem with this. Uh, I wish I, I would know how to maybe improve the theory a bit or maybe add, um, add something to it to maybe solve this.
0: And then the difference, what is the difference between information and data?
1: Not very different. Uh, I think I found an example um, somewhere. If um, I, I don't remember where I read this, it might be on a on an article. But uh, the, the question was posted there, and uh, this this was the explanation, which I don't entirely agree with. That, but um, roughly it goes like this: If you have, um, let's say, uh, a McDonald's. And uh, somebody sits in a corner and records how many how many people enter um, McDonald's to buy a burger in a given day, and records this information in a database. Okay, that is data. Okay, we call this data. So it, it records the data, but if the same person goes on and starts doing some statistical analysis on that data set by looking at the gender distribution for example how many male female or how many um, group by group age for example or by hair color um, doing some kind of analysis and uh, creating probabilities uh, of occurring of a specific group age or or, or gender base or um, Um, looks if you want skin color or other things um, that becomes information the moment you start processing the data into um, this probabilistic approach uh, implying the shannon's functions and the information um, theory i would say that that becomes information and you use the data to um, produce information however to me to me the data and information are the same thing they converge to the same thing when you get down to this probabilistic approach in within the Shannon information theory framework. In other words, any information on a hard disk drive or a memory device, um, which is digital, um, uh, we need to distinguish here between analog information and digital information. Uh, the analog information... Can be reduced to digital states by digitizing. Let's say you take a you, you take a piece of paper, write your name, you write Jerry on the paper, and that is analog information. You can put your phone number as well. Did you change the entropy of that paper? And start? yes, you did. But it's it's not quite. I'm not quite clear how you can use information theory to put a bit content on that analog st- state there and what you did. But you can take that piece of paper and scan it. And you create a digital image of your information created or you can digitize it by some means and that becomes digital. So so to me, any data that is digitized, it qualifies for this Shannon information theory definition of information in terms of probabilistic nature, in terms of the Shannon's function, you know, measuring in bits of information, the content and everything else. Uh, but but you can actually do this on any physical process, on any aspect of our, our everyday life where you can define probabilities. You can actually use that framework on anything. So it kind of the everything converges to, which is maybe why John Wheeler suggested that the, the whole universe uh, emerges from information in, within the universe uh, and including the matter and space time. It's, it's a very powerful idea.
0: So tell us, Melvin, uh, a little bit of the story of the growth of digital information, digital data, uh, how it has grown, say, from, I don't know, the 40s, the 50s, to where it is at now and where it is going, you know, the, the pace of that, that growth. Paint us a little bit of a picture of that, please. It's
1: quite scary. Um, a scary image you get. Uh, a scary glimpse if you start digging into the data and looking at um, trends. It's um, it. In fact, is um, it, it raises uh, a number of questions and uh, extrapolations that I'm going to touch on um, in this discussion. Um, what you need. What we need to understand is um, we stored information uh, for millennia essentially on paper or maybe on cave's writings and other means or or leather we we wrote physically wrote information onto something this has changed in 1996 in 1996 the, this year is a, a pivotal a, a, a very critical transition year where the digital storing information on digital uh, devices became cheaper than paper So writing a letter by hand and giving it to somebody by hand, leaving aside the cost of postage and other things, it became more expensive than in terms of the cost of the paper and ink and everything you add to write that letter, it became more expensive than writing an email or writing the same letter digitally and giving it to somebody digitally. This is, it goes back to the gigabyte per dollar cost and uh, the cost of paper and the cost of physical things. And in 1996, digital information became cheaper than paper for storing data. From that moment on, we transitioned in our entire society into a digital world. Okay. What does it mean? Well, we we bank online, we socialize online. Um, we produce all the documents um, digitally. We have all the video, the media, the audio, the music, the, everything is online. We, um, we we go to school online. The, the, that was uh, highly visible during the pandemic when everything moved online. All the meetings, all the, the, the teaching and the educational processes moved online. We do assessing online, exams online. Everything moved to a digital um, world, a digital economy, if you want. And I have some numbers. We generate every day 500 million tweets on the planet, 294 billion emails, 4 million gigabytes of Facebook data, 65 billion WhatsApp messages and 720,000 hours of new content added on YouTube um, every day and there is no there is no end to this there is no limit because nobody wants to delete any data i mean i'm not sure about you but i in the past i used to have a, a special suitcase a special box with very important possessions that you would take out of your home if there is a fire, if there is an emergency or something. And usually they would contain typically passports, you know, I don't know, birth certificates, maybe title deeds for the house, these kind of things. Maybe some family jewelries or some personal items. I still have that suitcase, but in it, I still have the passports and other things, but I have a two terabyte digital data storage device where I keep all our family photos, all our um, family movies, um, all our important documents, all, everything uh, is digitized. Even all photos from, uh, you know, past past years in, in our family tree and everything, they, they've they been digitized. I scan everything, I have them digital and I keep them on hard disk drive. And I, it's one of my p- most precious possessions is in the getaway suitcase. (laughs) Um, So I'm not sure how, uh, what other, what your readers value uh, most, but this is what I would take when I go uh, somewhere. And guess what? I keep copies of this just in case there is a malfunction of the device. I don't want to lose this data and nobody wants to delete anything. Nobody wants to lose the data. And I said to you that in 1996, paper became more expensive to store information than digital data. That is one one aspect only. The fact that to copy something from the paper, it needs a printing machine or it needs somebody to physically handwrite uh, information. The digital information, once it's created, is copied in an instant and is copied infinite times. You can copy it without any limit. You can have a book which is digitized, recopied for every person on this planet if they want to, to have that book and if it's free to, to access it. There is, there is no limit to that. So in other words, the information creation and the storage has accelerated to um, levels that uh, nobody is seriously looking at this. Uh, where do we put all this stuff and... Um, How much it costs to do it and how long can we do this for? So the answer is the the reason we are doing this is because information is so valuable to individuals, but also to corporations, and it became a commodity. Uh, If you look at the business model of uh, companies like the big tech, the big giants like Google, Facebook, Instagram and all these guys, YouTube, they are the leading corporations on the planet today. They are not, these are not factories making cars or planes. These are not um, energy-producing uh, giants. They are um, high-tech, we call them high-tech giants, but in- essentially I call them digital um, economy giants. You know, all they do, they, they use information from the public and overall information to store it, to manipulate it, to process it, and to trade it. To, to sell it essentially, and most 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 often this is done through advertising and people watching content or accessing their services, digital services, and um, advertising being slotted into the the things. But also trading information for real, where where people have to pay for content, and it appears to be unlimited because um, let's take YouTube. Um, YouTube makes money by uploading, uh, allowing people to upload videos on, um, online and uh, viewers are watching these videos. YouTube um, ads, commercial adverts in the videos themselves. They have some paid channels as well and so on, subscription model. But essentially, is um, based on content added by um, users and reselling that content. But they also have an option to add content which is private. So I have a YouTube channel, which is, um, I said to you about my two terabyte hard disk drive where I keep family and personal things, but now you can put them on a cloud. You don't need to even have this physical device at home. You can, If you don't have super private files and super confidential files, which are not entirely safe on the cloud, you can put them on a cloud. You can upload them somewhere. So I have uh, some some of our family videos uploaded to a channel. But guess what? That channel is not public. The the YouTube gives you this option to make it a private. So you need a, a link to access it. It's not visible to search engines. In other words, they don't make any money with that content. But in the same time, I can upload unlimited. They never asked me to pay anything. They never told me you have a limit of that many gigabytes. You exceed that limit, you cannot upload anything. I can upload unlimited amounts and this free, and they don't make any money with that. So there is a problem here because there is a cost associated to storing this information and keeping the servers running. They, um, uh, the, 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 it's it's stratospheric. It's incredible how much uh, energy it needs. So I predict um, there there will be a moment of reckoning where all these digital services and things they will become more or less commodities um, uh, from from the two ends the user end and the the the, the giant um, high tech end uh, in other words we will not be able to do these um, these things for free uh, indefinitely for too long there will be some kind of cost um, associated to storing information and all these digital services at some point in the future because um, the growth is so stratospheric; it will it's unsustainable. And I have I have some numbers. Um, we in 2020 we created 59 zettabytes of information. Okay, the whole year. This is 59 trillion gigabytes, to give you a number.
0: I calculated, and maybe I'm wrong, at once how much paper would be required to print out one zettabyte of of data, just just for you know um, illustrative purposes, and I estimated. Uh, based on my calculations, looking at how how, mu- how much paper you'd get from a single tree, I estimated that you'd need twenty trillion trees for just one zettabyte. Twenty trillion trees, like and there's only three and a half trillion trees on the planet, so that gives you a sense of how big a zettabyte
1: is. Correct. And um, just to set the record straight, uh, zettabyte is um, uh, ten to the power twenty-one. Um, in terms of bits contained, is 8 times 10 to the power 21 in terms of number of bits because a byte has 8 bits. So looking at the numbers in 2018, it was about 33 zettabytes. It grew to 59 in 2020. Anyway, the, the growth rate appears to be I, com- I I wrote an article for The Conversation, um, an online platform, and uh, I had to look at these numbers in, details, uh, in great detail. But when I um, wrote the article, I estimated 61% growth rate um, year on year. Uh, l- later, I revisited my calculations, and I think uh, that number was wrong. It appears to be about 33%, about half of that. It's about 33% uh, growth rate, um, real growth rate, based on the data we have, on the last uh, couple of years why we are looking at the last couple of years because 99 percent of the data has been produced in the last 10 years on the planet this is getting exponentially growing now at a very very fast rate by 2025 the estimated this growth rate it's 175 zettabytes uh, in a year being produced uh, last year we produced 85 zettabytes by the way so 2021 um you made your estimation, very interesting estimation on um, um, on the, the amount of paper. But I think uh, in my um uh, conversa- con- uh, the conversation article, I made an estimation on um, if each uh, bit uh, would be a coin. I think this is what I <laughs> I looked at, and you stack them up into a um, a stack of uh, physical coins like one pound coin. Okay. Uh, I said um, how high um, this stack will take you. And um, it turns out um, that taking three millimeter thickness of a coin, a zettabyte will make up a stack of coins that will be 2,550 light years. To give you an idea, it will take you to, so the distance from here to to the moon is one second in light years. the distance to the sun, I think is, uh, if I'm not wrong, is eight minutes in light years. In other words, the light travels in eight minutes from the sun. 2,550 light years will take us to the nearest star system, Alpha Centauri, 600 times. So the stack of coins of one zettabyte will take you to Alpha Centauri 600 times back and forth. And that's just one zettabyte. That one zettabyte today, we are making fifty-nine times that amount every year. Okay, so just to just to set the record, uh, it gives some numbers, so our um, um, listeners can relate to some physical objects, like you did your paper estimate. This is another uh, another estimate. <clears throat> so <clears throat> then, uh, in 2020, I. I took a look. My interest in uh, following up on the 2019 article, I made some interesting uh, extrapolations there, linking information to dark matter um, and the fifth state of matter, and so on. So I became interested in um, in this aspect, and 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 I, I wanted to calculate an information content, a possible information content per elementary particles or per matter itself by looking at the matter in a similar way to biological uh, matter and the information content in the matter itself uh, being similar to the DNA of uh, biological um, um, uh, systems. And in, in, in this study, I came up with something and uh, uh, the, the, that something was um, so confusing that I said, uh, that can't be right because if I take our planet, and I calculate how much information content would be in the whole body mass of the planet, including oceans and everything in it and everything on it and the atmosphere. I came up with some numbers and they were not too far off from our uncertainty in defining the mass of the planet in the first place. Um, so I relaxed a little bit when I, I, I saw that because initially I I, I thought I found a Uh, A a total fallacy, some kind of non-physical answer, which will, to some degree, invalidate everything I've done previously, but uh, it didn't. But in this process, I started to look at these huge numbers um, uh, that we are producing, 10 to the power 21 bits of information every year. And if the growth is 33% every year, then I wrote a paper in uh, 2020. And I said, what will happen to the, the the global digital data information that we are producing, assuming we don't stop this, and we are producing at ever-increasing rates? Uh, and in my study, I took four growth rates, 5% per year, 20%, and 50%. Actually, I think I took only three growth rates and 50%. It turns out the real growth rate is about 33%. So I'm somewhere in the upper side of my estimates. Okay. But I took this um, assumption that we are these three, three different numbers. And I, I worked out the mathematics of everything. And it turns out uh, these growth rates, we're going to create more bits of information than all the atoms on the planet, which is a number of about 10 to the power 50 atoms, on Earth, including everything that makes up the Earth, in about 1,200 years at a 5% growth rate, 340 years at 20% growth rate, 150 years at 50% growth rate. Now we know we are about 33%. So we're looking at around 200 something years at this growth rate. We will have more digital bits of information than the atoms on the planet. So the question I'm asking you now At the moment, we are storing this information in physical systems like data storage devices, servers, magnetic data storage, flash drives, optical data storage. If we create information that equals the number of atoms on the planet and we don't know how to store information on a single atom, yeah, we don't know how to do that. We can't do that. At the moment, we use thousands of atoms per bit, thousands, tens of thousands. Where is going to go that information and how we are going to mitigate this? How we are going to sustain this? I called called this information um, singularity, the information catastrophe. This is the title of the article. And in the same article, I took a look at um, the number of bits that we are creating, uh, which will reach an impossible level that can't be sustained. I looked at the energy required, assuming the most effective landauer limit energy required to create a bit uh, not even looking at these material constraints and uh, potential energies that you need to sustain the bit and the magnetic states or whatever you are using i just assume that we are storing this information at the maximum efficiency we are going to run out of power in about 100 years all the power that we use on the planet today is about 18 19 terawatts to run the planet And I mean transportation, heating, cooling, um, illuminations, all the electricity, all the industries, everything we are using, internet and everything, computations, everything everything we do on the planet, it's about, let's say, 19 terawatts today. In about 110 years, the digital information itself will overtake. All this power requirement will be eaten out by the digital information itself which is another component of this information catastrophe. In the same study, I took a look at um, assuming my mass energy information principle, equivalence principle is correct, uh, and assuming information has indeed mass, and we are creating so much of it. It works out that in a few hundred years, um, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but... uh, it's a not very far distant uh, future. Let's let's put it like this: If my is my principle is correct, we're gonna half the mass of the planet will be made up of digital bits. Okay, this is um, how scary it is today. Today, the mass of all the information that we created on the planet, in total, not in one year, in total, everything created in the past and up to this point today, digital information. It's only about the mass of one E. coli bacteria. Just to give you an idea. So you take a bacteria, you measure the mass of that bacteria. And I had uh, I had the mass of that. Uh, I can give you the, if I can grab this information um, uh, in a second, I can give you the mass. <clears throat> so this would be 23 10, uh, times 10 to the power minus 17 kilograms. So you are talking about 10 to the minus um, um, uh, 17 um, kilograms. It's uh, billions, thousands of billions smaller than um, a a, a gram. (laughs) In other words, it's it's a bacteria, the mass of bacteria. That is the mass of information, of all the information on the planet today. But uh, the growth we are projecting here, it will reach some incredible levels that will make up up to half the the mass of the planet will be digital information.
0: Which is extraordinary and I think that by 2030 we will beginning to become much more aware of this growth and like it'll be long before 100 years that it'll actually be have a serious impact on societies and economies. Uh, like I think it, In the next 10 years, even with the growth rates, we'll begin to become aware of this major cost of storing information and storing data.
1: Well, I I call this the invisible crisis, to be honest, in some of my uh, interviews and articles. Um, And you you mentioned in Ireland, the data servers uh, consuming so much power. Uh, I have some numbers here. I mean, the largest in the world today is called the Citadel and this is uh, located in um, uh, Reno, Nevada. It occupies 7.2 million square feet and it needs 815 megawatts power to run. Okay? On the planet, on the planet, we have 600 today hyperscale data centers, okay? These are only data servers that have more than um, uh, 500 servers, if you want, like it's hyperserver, uh, hyperscale data server. So very large ones. Okay. 600. And we are building a hundred new ones every year. No, every two years. I'm sorry. Every two years, we have a hundred new data servers every two years. Two years. These are, these are the numbers. In terms of this uh, moment of reckoning, uh, this becoming unsustainable, I think it's already happening to some degree. I want to tell a short story now. Um, At the University of Portsmouth, we have a lot of our teaching activities um, occurring. Well, teaching materials and some of the activities and everything, they are kept on a platform called Moodle. It's an online platform for teaching, learning, and education. It's uh, very powerful. And I am uh, serving in a number of committees. One of them is the Ethics Committee at the University. And uh, the last meeting we had, it was a discussion about all the ethics forms and ethics applications and all the reviews that we are doing and everything that is happening. They are being stored on this Moodle server. And guess what? This is run by Google. So, university works with Google to provide the storage, the cloud, the, everything. We, we even have Google email. It's uh, port.ac.uk, but it runs on Google email um, uh, platform. And um, We've been told at that committee meeting that we can no longer store indefinite amounts of information on on this ethics committee Moodle server because there are caps and limits now to the amount of information we can store. It's simply too much and Google is already imposing some kind of limits or you have to pay something extra in order to... um, Add uh, content. Uh, and it's a very simple explanation. They don't make any money with this. Uh, it's, it goes back to those videos I mentioned to you on YouTube, which I keep private. I, I Only I watch those videos. There is no advertising revenue. There is no benefit to Google. And yet I can upload uh, continuously. And there is no limit, no cap how much I can upload there. But there is a cost to the company for keeping them there. So this is going to come to an end. Um, it, it will be a cost to us um, at some point. I don't think it's sustainable. And uh, this information catastrophe is just a, a, a metaphor, a scientific metaphor, if you want. It's 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 a singularity sort of like that will never will never be reached because the market forces are going to balance out um, uh, these technological developments, and things will reach an equilibrium. They they cannot continue they cannot continue
0: here's another uh, element of, of of all that i've i've worked for almost 30 years in the internet since 1994 uh space and and what i noticed in working with large websites or large intranets or data environments was massive massive quantities of waste uh so here's one study that I came across recently and it said only 5% of data is accessed again three months after it's first stored. Uh, And I could give you multiple other quotes which talk about 90% of data unused. Like we talked about photographs earlier. In 2020, we took 1.4 trillion photos 1.4 one, 1. 1.4 trillion photos just in one year. So more photos in 2020 than in the 20th century. And the vast majority of those are not being accessed. You, you said about we never delete. And so much of what we don't delete is actually crap. And that if this apocalypse keeps going or catastrophe in the sense, we're actually in my understanding, we, we don't have data centers, we have data dumps. We we are creating and storing massive quantities of data that has little or no value.
1: I I couldn't agree more. This it's it's almost insane. Is uh, we talk about climate change or 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 or, or food um, crisis and energy crisis, but this is this is something we are doing uh, sleepwalking into into this crisis to some degree. I I see it like it's almost invisible. Nobody at that committee meeting. In fact, there was an academic who said, "I thought we can upload infinite amounts to this server. There is no limit," um, and that was a physics academic. So. How can you even uh, make a statement like this? You know that uh, nothing is infinite. You, I mean, nothing is infinite. Nothing, everything is finite on our planet. <laughs> uh, u- universe is infinite, but <laughs> we have a finite, um, you know, quantity of everything. And um, information is one of them. We 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 will not be able to sustain this growth um, forever. And you know, I fear most about some of the big tech companies which have a business model based on. Um, uh, you know revolving around this uh, trading of information and um, you know storing and manipulating and they i'm sure they will adapt i'm sure they have very smart people and uh, and scientists and engineers and strategists looking at the business model looking at future um, roadmaps and uh, you know uh, adapting the business and doing changes but th- they, they will have to change
0: well to some degree i think it's part of the plan like i think in some ways big tech is like is like the illegal drugs industry <laughs> uh, it it gives you free it gives you it it gives you free stuff to to get you addicted and then once you're addicted it tells you you have to pay Correct. you know or or are you you know so now in your ethics committee it's not going to be easy to shift all that out of Google or accept. so Google now in and and also that Google has access to your ethics <laughs> discussions <laughs> is 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 even more scary in in and I think we don't recognize that either that we are storing uh,
1: private information on a cloud which is not private exactly is not private which is not yeah. private,
0: which is not and which is that very cloud is based One of its core business models is based on the manipulation of us uh, to sell us to advertisers. So they want our private information so that they can get a deeper map of who we are, uh, so that they can sell us more stuff that'll destroy the planet even faster. So we're kind of, data has become, even the 5% that's used, a lot of that use is for advertising, it's not for to help the Amazon uh, recuperate or to, you know, regenerate uh, nature, it's actually to create more uh, paper and plastic packages for Amazon that will send out more stuff that we don't really need.
1: And to add to your um, final comment, they use artificial intelligence to um scan through all these datasets and uh, and clouds uh, uh, databases uh, to help the ai learn um, things but also create predictive algorithms about ourselves about our behavior our patterns our to maximize their um, you know advertising revenue you know profitability of things um, so this is uh, kind of accelerating even more now with the, the development in machine learning and artificial intelligence.
0: Yeah, and, and just in relation to that, like I would say that for every dollar that's spent on AI to do positive things about the climate change, there's $100 being spent for advertising AI to get us to to buy more Four ton SUVs, and to because advertising is set is in essence selling to our weaknesses. I mean, you don't need to advertise for potatoes or you know, for bicycles or for most of the stuff that we are advertised for, it's the stuff we don't really need that much, but makes a lot of money for you know. Uh, a brand, so to speak. So a lot of the essence of advertising is actually the reason why we have a climate crisis, because the climate crisis is driven by the human consumption crisis.
1: And this advertising, um, aggressive advertising um, policy and uh, campaign, it goes back to uh, some fundamentals which are overlooked by everyone. The fact that human brain is... Essentially, is a biological computer. So, is a is a computing machine. Essentially, the human brain, a very effective one. And computers need programs to function. They need computers don't um, run themselves. They need a program to tell them what to do, and they do what they are programmed to do. Uh, in a similar way, this is how human brain works the as a child you are born and you you get programmed by learning from your parents how to walk how to speak how to you upload information into your brain and you 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 create the programs um to 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 live uh, okay effectively to stay safe uh, to to feed yourself to to learn but another another aspect of this is that you can program the brain by how do you program the, ba- the brain you you pass on information to the brain, to the individual, through some means. And these means are uh, written media, television, radio, social media. It's, it's through the media. It's through the media, through the internet advertising. Through the... So by watching on telly um, uh, the same advert 10, 20 times a day, or listening on the radio the same advert 10, 20 times a day, or on YouTube, your brain subconsciously Gets programmed. You program people's minds through various means, you know, and one of them is this advertising. Uh, it's just information projected into the brain and the brain registers this you know, in subconscious, subconscious, a subconscious. It's not even, you're not even thinking about this. Before you know it, you end up buying that product because your brain just does it. You know, it tells you, it, it creates the desire. Without even you realizing that you've you've been programmed into this, so this is fascinating stuff. Um, but uh, I I wanted to add uh, quickly uh, one one little aspect before we wrap up this. Um, I think is uh, is very interesting to just to mention this. Uh, The fact that these numbers are so huge um, and I realized that we are looking at 100, 200 years and uh, the the, the Earth is a few billion years old and um, human civilization is a few thousand years old. Uh, And we've been doing this for less than 100 years. And we are looking at another 100 or 100 something years to have more digital bits than atoms on the planet. Okay? So when I realized this, I uh, another idea uh, crept into my mind. Uh, the fact that what if our objective reality is not as objective? What if um, the whole reality is actually a, a simulation, um, uh, more like a, a virtual reality digital simulation? And um, the, this is because of these huge numbers. We, we We kind of, we get there very quickly. Very quickly we get there in terms of these numbers. So at this level, you can imagine that a, a, an advanced civilization would be able to simulate the whole universe, not, not just our world, you know, or um, our um, reality. Uh, and I'm not the only one thinking like this. There is a huge community of people out there um, thinking that our reality is not what we think, and uh, there are too many unknowns, and uh, a simulation hypothesis is a very viable scientific option, and there are serious academics looking at this from philosophical, scientific angle, from all sorts of aspects. And I'm pleased to tell you that in 2022, I published, um, my interest is to uh, resolve some of these things, not only from a theoretical, fundamental physics angle, but also to add validity by experimenting and putting these ideas to test. And I'm pleased to let you know that uh, in 2022, I published uh, a, a possible experiment to to test uh, these ideas, you know, including the simulation hypothesis. It will be a consequence of a successful experiment. It will be that information is indeed the fifth state of matter. And it shows that we probably live in a simulation. The the whole universe is a a, a, a kind of digitized um, simulation. This article is published in 2022, and um, I'm also happy to announce the There has been a lot of interest in my um, information studies, information physics studies, from scientists, academics, and the public. And I'm pleased to announce the the creation of the first institute in the world of information physics. It's called um, informationphysicsinstitute.org, in one word. It has been created um, uh, about eight weeks ago. Um, And the purpose of this institute is to bring together um, an international range of public academics and thinkers um, interested in in these uh, information physics um, uh, research aspects, but also to fundraise um, the the, the necessary funding to perform the experiment I proposed in 2022. So there is a fundraising campaign uh, that will appear very soon, um, and uh, it's all... Channel through this new institute uh, and I, I i wanted to mention this because it's possible some of your listeners uh, might be actually very deeply interested in this uh, in these um, ideas and uh, in the in the science and if they want to get involved, this institute is there we have a free membership uh, option and um, we are happy to uh, you know to get as many members and collaborators and um, f- f- you know funding um, institutions uh, uh, as possible
0: thank you yes and and uh, you know the, the, your ideas and um, are are quite profound and um, this recognition of this issue as you say, this invisible crisis i think is does not have the awareness that it needs to have uh, among either, you know, industry or, or, or politics or otherwise. So raising these issues is is uh, of major uh, major import. I recognise the profundity of of. Uh, the the work that you are uh, addressing, and I'm sure lots of people will be interested uh, in this institute. I've I've been participating in or observing some of the discussions, and they are they are profoundly important for the future uh, of us as a species. I, I sometimes wonder. If we'll actually even survive as a species, maybe equilibrium is actually the extinction of the human species uh, on, on, on this planet. Who, who knows? Because what we, if we know anything, we know that just because it happened in the past doesn't mean it will happen in the future. And an equilibrium may not actually involve the human species being around.
1: That, that, that's correct. <laughs> it's a very... An orthodox way of ending this, but uh, it's it's a possible scenario.
0: <laughs> if you're interested in these sorts of ideas, please check out my book, Worldwide Waste, at jerrymcgovern.com. To hear other interesting podcasts,
1: please visit thisisHCD.com.